We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Norwich and a stunning display of football that leaves me having to say, ignore the damn Crapatron. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. If you are not familiar with the Crapatron, Paul will initiate you soon enough. But I implore you to ignore the Crapatron because, quite frankly, um, we don't win a lot of games 4-0 at the moment. You may have noticed, but we've done it. We've won three on the trot. Saka has signed. Oba next. We'll see, uh, but it's all looking rosier for Arsenal right now. And here to discuss it with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. All right, so Paul, we'll start with you just real quick. For the uninitiated, uh, tell them what the Crapatron is and what happened when you ran this game through it. Yeah, well, the Crapatron is based on Turing's Enigma machine from the Second World War. And uh, very complex. There's algorithms, there's mechanical parts, there's some steam, there's like a, a, a section you can throw some coal in. But it basically calculates how shit the opposition is versus how good was our performance and gives you a calibratable result against Norwich that you could compare against, say, Arsenal playing Bayern Munich in the Champions League on the same day and give you a relative rating. Yep. And I would say that it's a helpful tool for us. I'd love to ignore it, but before we ignore it, maybe you can uh, tell us what it, what it sure produced for us. Well, there's a quantitative and qualitative uh, value from it. We scored a 4.7 in this match, mm-hmm. um, which basically means Norwich were apparently shite was the qualitative mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's great. So now I ask you, 
Is it okay if we ignore the Crapatron and celebrate oh, the performance yes. and the win instead? <laughs> it's not only okay, it's advised. I, I agree. Okay, so uh, now that you know what the Crapatron is and know we're going to ignore it, yeah, I mean, look, this is one of those games where every single thing we're going to say about it has to be uh, put in the context of the fact that I felt Norwich weren't really there to play minus about 15 minutes after halftime where they must have gotten a rocket in the dressing room. But like, other than that, they stood off a lot. They defended deep. They gave the ball away. They handed us two goals or handed Oba two goals, which I still think he deserves credit for. And we may get to that. Um, but, but let's not lose the opportunity to celebrate a good performance and win because we played bad teams before and not produced this kind of result. Um, so Clive, I'll start with you. Look, I wasn't in love with the formation. It felt unnecessarily defensive to me, but as we're learning with Arteta, he can use the personnel he puts on the pitch in ways that you maybe wouldn't expect to create patterns of play that that don't have to be defensive. You know, it's weird. We're almost playing a back four, uh, like we're playing a back three instead of a midfield diamond. It's almost like we've got a defensive diamond because the central center back sits deep. The two wide center backs push on a little and Shaka sits in front of the central center back. So that sort of forms your central protective space, and then everybody else just freaking bombs up the pitch, and you've got Tierney, um, Nelson, Bellerin, Aubameyang, and Lacazette, and, and Ceballos to some extent, all in the attacking third, just sort of standing there across the pitch waiting for opportunities. And I felt that Norwich really struggled to handle the overlaps on the flanks. We, we let both wingbacks overlap for once, and... and Gosh, they found so much space to operate on those flanks. So for you, um, how do you think we tweaked this potentially defensive-looking formation to uh, to really threaten Norwich regularly? Yeah, so firstly, I've, I've, we've never quite agreed on this system, me and you. <laughs> You've always said it's defensive, and I always think of it as, actually, we take a defender away. Yeah, and no, we, th- that is fair. Yeah, that is very fair. Uh, mm-hmm. And we have and we have less redundancy. We tend to have people wide centre backs that are not too bad on the ball. So we're building up in a slightly better way. I think we're uh, we, you're absolutely right about the diamond, and that's you know this is a formation that I've I've used myself a lot, and it's my favourite one. And so if you, I always think this is always a good way to play, but it's not. No, just the way you play. It's the players within the system. And sometimes the game can go against you and you can be pushed back into a five. You can't spin out the pitch. And when it goes wrong, people then look at it and say, why are we playing five at the back instead of four? And so the formation gets gets criticized. What you're really looking for is you're looking for exits, triangles. That's what you're looking for. And and outnumbering people in certain parts of the pitch. But also positionally keeping people on touchlines. So in this game, we had Tini and Berry on the touchlines. And Norwich, unfortunately, they lost some centre-halves. So they had to play Teti at the back. And Teti's a, a centre-midfielder. He's a bit of a, a kicker and a cruncher. And basically, he gives them a lot of solidity in there, being the oldest, the older guy and more experienced guy in the team. They moved into the back line, where he's very fast, very quick, very one-on-one. But he doesn't really know where to stand. And they've got two young fullbacks in Aarons and Lewis. And Arsenal were really loading up, particularly on, the, on our right on our right-hand side. And so what you do as a fullback is you, you you creep. You creep out. You can see two or three of us out there, and so you creep. And what's re- what you really have to do, you have to stay tight to your centre-back. So what Lewis was kept doing is he kept creeping out to a touchline, and what we were doing, because we had time on the ball, because McLean got booked, and that meant Tobias could do his thing. And basically, 
we kept passing inside between the centre half and the fullback, and that should never happen. You should always have your fullback tight to centre back. It goes out to the guys in the wing. Yes, you may get overloaded, but you can get a chance to reset inside. When you run straight in behind off first phase, which was really what was happening, we were getting in really, really easy. And so, and they weren't. When they did go out late, it was on particularly on Tierney's side. It'll be a quick combination of Barry Yang in behind again, second phase cross. We were just better than them. They were. They were very slow to refill. They were just heads on spinning tops, just going around trying to track our runners, and it was it was it was quite nice to see. You know, um, it was nice to see Bellerin doing the third man running again, running off the ball in straight lines, which is what, how he made his career. It was much more his type of game rather than the, the short space combination game. And so for us, I'm a I'm a big fan of this system. I don't always I understand that you know I always say the adults are playing four three three. But there's three or four teams that I admire in Europe. And, you know, there's four two three one Bayern Munich. There's obviously City and Liverpool. And there's Dortmund. And Dortmund play this system and variations of. When you have three at the back, we have you have you always say you have your exterior, but you have your interior, and the interior is where you can make easy change to turn the game around. You can make changes within the game. So you can go, you know, two and a two or two and a, and a two forwards and one in behind. You can do things there. You can do what we do sometimes. We go one midfield and every, everybody pressing up high to five channels. There are things you can do on the interior of the game which allows you to manage the flow of the game. That's why I'm a, a huge fan of this system. But it's always down to the players that you have. And, uh, and I felt on the day we had better players than Norwich and we, and we showed that. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons, Clive, why I sometimes view this as defensive, it's I can see how it can be a, a more attack-minded formation. If your wingbacks are up the pitch, you're right. You have more attackers moving forward. I, I think what I don't love about it is it feels like you are starting the game with a willingness to forego central midfield and give up the midfield battle in some ways because you just don't have the bodies in there. Um, mm. I mean, you can make the bodies up in there, and we've done that by, you know, as you pointed out in other games, letting Bellerin tuck in and creating, you know, a, an extra body in midfield. And it's that WM formation, right? We try to create 3-2 yeah. two and 2-3. Two, but this was different. And what Arteta did is he let Lacazette make up the extra man in midfield. And Lacazette would drop in and combine with Ceballos and and give him a little partner to play off of. And Ceballos ran everywhere and used the space that Norwich gave him to thrive. And so, Paul, I don't think we should go another minute without celebrating his performance. I mean, look, he hasn't had one like it's in Burnley. I, we've already run this through the Crapatron and explained that it doesn't matter. You could see why this would be a lovely player to have in a place like Spain or even in Italy because when he has time on the ball, that extra touch that so often frustrates lets him see more, attack better, make better decisions with how he uses the ball and be more progressive. When he's under pressure, it becomes a liability, and he wasn't under pressure in this game, and he absolutely chopped them to pieces. His his off-the-ball work was was great, which I think is a strength of his game. We don't praise enough. But on the ball, he was finding those overlapping uh, wingbacks on the regular. So for you, I mean, as as much as it's hard to give the man of the match to anyone other than the guy with two goals and an assist in Aubameyang, um, is, is Ceballos your man of the match? Yeah, I mean, he put his print on this game. Um, again, big, big asterisk next to it because it, it was Norwich and they didn't kind of really show up for most of it. But you either talk about the game like it's a real thing or you don't. And, you know, to take this game seriously, I mean, he ran this game. Um, he had an interesting balance with Chaka, who I think also had a, a really good game beyond his goal. But 
uh, normally it's either it, it's kind of people making space for Chaka to do the passing and, and Danny just kind of took over. You could see him warming up to it and thinking this was his day. Um, and it was just like all business all the time. I mean, I don't know about the extra touch thing. Um, I, I can't say I, I've locked in on that as being his issue. I think more his issue is he's been asked to play uh, different positions in different kinds of styles. And he doesn't, you know, there was, uh, was it the Southampton game? He was basically kind of part of a two-man pivot like this but it was basically it seemed to me he was told to kind of stay in and keep the shape because they were doing 4-2-2 and and pressing us at their home and it was just a different role that didn't give him much people were frustrated with that i thought he was good against um uh well and, and he was playing that. alongside ganduzi there right so he was he was asked to sit alongside yeah. ganduzi but when shack has been in both with willick and sabios now Shaq has been allowed to sit and mop up by himself, and his partner's been allowed to range forward and join the attack. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think Danny went at it, and he was enjoying himself. I think he's, I think he accelerates the play, and I think if he's been taking an extra touch, it's because he didn't like what was up ahead of him. People, It's been a while now that people haven't been making runs, and other people haven't finding them, and it's kind of a, a virtuous or a vicious cycle that I think we're still in. I mean, even in this game, we'd only 13 shots. So it's not like we took every opportunity to make that run and to get in there. Um, but, I mean, I, I really like the guy. I think it's interesting that they're talking about there being talks between Real Madrid and Arsenal. I'm sure it's if it's at the right price, they would extend the loan. Um, again, I don't know if he's the answer to our midfield, though. Uh, but he, he might be one of the answers. He's he's an interesting option to bring on. And he was like the most exciting thing in this game that wasn't Obama, uh, Obama Yang. I'm always doing that. Obama Yang banging in goals. So, But, I mean, I've I got to say as well, because we're diving straight into it, it was kind of a fun day to be an Arsenal supporter yesterday, starting with the Bukayo Saka thing. We'll get to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Obama Yang back and forward on Twitter with, with uh, Ainsley. And, on Instagram, you know, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this was... Stop uh, saying I mean, Fofty and signed a yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. The Cedric appearance and getting a goal, a, a thunder bastard on his left foot. It was just like, we haven't had one of those game, days for a while when it was just like... It was fun, yeah. It was really good fun being an Arsenal supporter. Like, God was in his heavens and all was right with the world. And... I enjoyed yesterday, asterisk or not. Yeah, and well, and, and I mean, I, I don't know that there's much need to put asterisks next to things because when you're a great team and you blow away a bad team, the asterisks might make sense. But when you're not a great team, um, being capable of doing something like this at least shows some progress forward. I, I, I do think that this this idea of letting Shaka sit and Ceballos go in a back three, it's so redolent of the, the days of Shaka and Ramsey in the back three in the, the latter stages of, of Arsene Wenger. We've touched on that. It does seem to work. I mean, whether it gives us the solidity we need or the midfield control remains to be seen. I definitely think the way Lacazette was used in this formation was really interesting. And Clive, I feel for the guy because he does so much hard work um, and he's playing in a way that probably isn't who he is. I, I still think he... When he arrived at Arsenal, he was a penalty box striker, a guy who wanted the ball on his foot, one touch bang into the back of the net. Problem now is he's just he's not that guy. He doesn't shoot. He's he's 
pretty bang average if we're going to bang anything. That, that sounded weird. You get yeah. my idea. And, and I mean, there was the one moment where the ball comes across to him. I, I think it's Aubameyang who serves it in. I could be wrong. And I just feel like there was a time when he would... And it's right before Aubameyang gets the goal gifted to him, by the way. It's 66th minute. I think he, he's in position to just volley it first time or take a touch to pull it down and, and blast it into the net. Instead, he does this weird sort of ballooned cut back to the center of the box with no one running onto it. And then I think it's Willick who does wind up making a tackle, getting it back, getting it out to the wing, and it, it comes back to Aubameyang for the goal on the turnover. But th- I thought that encapsulized Lacazette's struggles in the box. So for you, I mean, d- does he deserve a bit of credit for all of the things that he is doing to support the system? Or is it a case that as Arsenal, as a striker for Arsenal, he's he's still just not, for whatever reason, providing what we need in the, in the final third? Yeah, I don't, he's developing into a player that keeps showing the centre-back his number mm. because he's not really running the sides anymore. He looks around him and he sees better runners, so he leaves it to them. So he keeps coming short. That could be instruction, that could be what he, what he's turning into. I always felt that he was never quite a a nine on his own. He's more than nine and a half, and I've, seen, I've said it before, the first time I saw him, he was is playing like a 10. But he's always faces his own goal. So he's always there for cutbacks. So when you see YouTube of him, you see him smashing the ball into roof and net from strange angles. And you say to yourself, he's a penalty box striker. And actually, he's quite a team playing second forward. That's what he is. But he needs the proximity of another forward near him. That is absolute. Right? So, so we've now got a situation where he's on his own being smashed in his ankles and his heels. You can tell that he loves it. He's, he's always down moaning and his face is really moody. So really, we're asking to play a false nine. That's what we're asking him to do. And he's not really that player. He wants to face the goal. He gets his confidence from having shots. And he's not really getting enough shots off. So what he is doing when the ball does come to him, he's trying too hard to be perfect. He's trying too hard to shape it, shift it. I mean, Tim spoke about it before. And it's not happening. His confidence is getting low. And he's got one of those facial expressions where he can't hide how he feels. And it's just, we can all see it, can't we? We can all see him not performing. And the way football fans are, we've got very short memories. He was played a year last year. This year, we're working out how much we can get for him really, really quick because we need to rebuild. And that's what we're thinking. And there are some rumours out there at the moment. And they're quite interesting rumours about different types of centre-forwards. They're very tall, rangey centre forwards, target men. That's you know, I love a target about. man. God, give me all the target <laughs> men. That's what I want, please. Yeah, we think Vos Weghorst, and um, there's a few, there's a couple others. There's a French lad that's quite good. It's a target man, quite young. But I saw an interesting one this week. It really started to make me think about what we could develop into. And that was Memphis Depay, actually. And, it, and if you compare the two, Memphis Depay is equally strong in his lower body, if not stronger. He's got far higher technical level on the turnaround. Extremely creative once he's turned around to dribble and beat people. And can lay people in, two runners like Aubameyang and Pepe, for example. And you start to think about what Lacazette's been asked to do and what other people like doing in that role. So you have Eddie who's a far more of a pressing nine and he can run through lines. And you have somebody who wants to play a false nine. And Lacazette isn't quite the pressing run-through line nine. And he isn't quite, give it to me, I can beat a man, attract people and lay it to runner goal scorers like Aubameyang and Pepe. I think you're right, Elliot. I don't think he's the player we need. I think we can upgrade. It's just how we upgrade. 
Do we upgrade with a taller nine back post header guy, or do we go for a false nine? But we don't need to duplicate Eddie and, and Martinelli because they're sprinters, they're pressers, they're movers. So we need something else, somebody a bit more false. Or you know, So I think it's going to be interesting to see, and I do see the future for him not being at Arsenal, I'm afraid. Mm. And if, you know, I just, just don't, but it's not a problem. He's had a good run, he's two, three years here, done fairly well. But we want to rebuild his team. We want to have a lot of fear in that position. Or a lot of creativity, and I don't see, I don't see that there with him at the moment. And I think it's just the way life goes. We just need to move on. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, whether we'll be able to or whether we will do it is another story. Um, it, it's tricky because there's so many players who are okay. They're not terrible, but okay, not terrible is you know we we find ways. I don't. I say we like I do this. I don't do this. I find ways to criticize. I know. I know that because people hate it about me. But like. I think as a collective, we find ways to see the good things about the players in our squad, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. But by the same token, we are sort of obligated to acknowledge that with the heights we want to reach, that's not good enough. And there's no shame in pointing to a player who's a perfectly honest, hardworking professional and saying, sorry, you're, you know, you're not good enough. And, and that's sort of where we are with a lot of people, I think. So, Paul, I mean, the story of this game for me early on at a minimum was Norwich not tracking the wing backs, and, and Tierney certainly um, took advantage of that, got in space a lot. His delivery didn't always get where it needed to go. Another player who did that was Bellerin, and his delivery didn't always get where it needed to go. This is a tough Bellerin game for me to analyze, and I'm curious to get your take on it, because <clears throat> on the one hand, I thought he looked a lot more like Hector Bellerin, up and down the wing, getting into acres of space, getting to the touchline. On the other hand... He didn't do very well with it when he got into some of those really good spots. There was one situation in he particular. He seemed very hesitant. Hesitant, yeah. yeah. And and again, it's a long road back. It's an 18-month injury, but now he's got a 29-year-old professional knocking on the door for his place, which he hasn't had in a while. I mean, I don't know that Debushi was ever really a threat to him, nor was Maitland-Niles. Uh, so it it is a tough one for me because I see more of the natural Hector Bellerin when he wasn't being asked to tuck in and play like a midfielder, but was being allowed to run the touchlines. But like... He didn't do what he needed to in the final third. And just recently, his coach said that Cedric is the best player there. And he then proved it immediately upon coming on. So how do you evaluate this Bellerin performance in the context of, A, how he's been playing, and B, the situation in the squad? Yeah, it's hard because uh, you got a three fullback discussion from that game. I mean, Tierney has been great again. Um, so it kind of shows you what it can be. Um, so that's great. We've got, got one side really firing. Um, Bellerin, in this game, as you said, got up and back. So uh, he got his exercise. But when he got in the final third, there were at least two occasions when he got into the box where it felt like he hesitated. It certainly didn't feel like he knew what to do when he got in there and, and pull the trigger or, or make a decision. And both times he kind of got caught up and the situation passed him by. And like two really good opportunities. And then you see Cedric banging in a ball, uh, just like the one uh, Hector ironically scored for us. I think it was against Chelsea, wasn't it? On the left foot, cutting in, bang, in it went. Uh, if that was the, 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 get the right game I'm thinking of uh, in, yep. in the January time frame. And it's like, that's an interesting parallel. Mm. And it just seems to be something, a bit of a confidence thing with him. And a bit of a fitness thing, because fitness-wise, he should be mostly there, you would think. Um, 
and it's just I think he might have lost a little confidence and um, yeah I mean the whole Cedric thing's a whole other conversation but what a great little cameo that was so well all right let's touch on it then so then so then Cedric comes in and you know it's a player that we we all have opinions about I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other I think that's clear and 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 I'm not on record anywhere having a strong opinion about the move but I mean he comes in he looks really good on both feet which is fun to see um he's active he's involved and he then scores a really lovely goal taken with his left foot from outside the box now you don't want your fullbacks shooting from outside the box on the regular. That's that's not a route to goal um, that you would that you would uh, take very commonly. I think Clive. But how impressed were you with um, Cedric? And what does this do in terms of the DefCon on level on uh, H- Hector's career and his hold on on his right back position? Yeah, we spoke about this on the uh, Patreon pod. But okay, let's let's have a look at these fullbacks, right? So. Bellerin is going through a phase where he's not on form and he's he's under a bit of pressure. Must, um, must emphasize, still coming back from injury. I, I think it is so harsh back. to not put that caveat in place. But now that I've fully really lodged in there, fire away answer. Yeah, yeah. And I also think, I'm not sure how many Premier League appearances he's had. He's had, he's had a lot of Europa games, maybe, and maybe FA Cup games, but there hasn't been that many Premier League games. So let's give him, let's give let's put some caveats in there. But the things he's doing wrong are, are, are a little bit concerning, but not not majorly so. Again, I, I never worry about players. For me, it's just recognising when they reach the mountaintop. That's the key thing. And, um, and so what we're seeing is a lack of um, go forward off the, first, off the first touch, you know, that front-footed first touch. Very interesting to see Tobias. It's not the touches, it's the first touch and how progressive it is. And then his next thing, and I thought Sabayas did some wonderful things with mid-range passing, not just short passing. They didn't expect it, and he was pinging the ball into the box, and that was a big change. He'd obviously been told to do that. He'd become easy to read, quite negative. Now he was beating people to first touch, coming from around the corner, popping the ball into the box. Bellerin had become quite easy to read. When he gets the ball under pressure, you can force him back by just running towards him. Too easy. You've got to challenge your man. You've got to break the shape of other people. And so he went back to his base game, which was doing doggies, 30-yard doggies, time out to win runs, shoom, through the lines. And he can do that all day. And now he's forced to do something in the last third, and he wants to do well. So what does he do? He holds the choice. The forward's not sure what he's going to do because he's not been there for a while in those situations. He's very one-footed. He has a situation where he doesn't vary things. He doesn't chop. He doesn't stop people. He just wants to do it on the run get into an area and if the players are not there he waited and he got he got blocked off a couple of times it's just where he is i think we have a situation where as a team we are we are quite a low technical level and bellerin was always in the team based on his athleticism that's which is not a problem but you need to be a real athlete to do that and now we're asking him to do things of a higher technical level and where we want to go to is a higher level still. I think we need people that can really look after that football, manipulate and create things in all situations and retain possession. That's what fullbacks need to do. Against Brian, I think he lost the time. We said he lost the ball 11 times in 33-minute period. That's not what a fullback needs to do. So he's struggling the ball retention in short areas. That's where he is. Running game yesterday, didn't quite deliver. The signs are there to say he's almost getting old on the job now is this permanent or is this temporary 
And that's what we really don't quite know just yet. Now, we've got a situation with Tierney, who was overpaid, a youngster in Scotland, well overpaid by Celtic, played injured many, many times. Mm. And I was concerned about that signing. I'd hold my hand up and say, look, I am concerned about this. They're 25 minutes up front, we gave it to them. We haven't seen him. We're sitting here now in, in June, July. We're just starting to see him. So we've really had him for nearly a full year and we just started to see him. So you can say to yourself, what a waste of money that was, or right now he's playing well. We can't wait to see him next season. But he basically bought a player cash money up front and we've, we've just barely seen him due to injury, over overuse, being worn out. He had a shoulder problem. He had a, a coccyx issue. He had all sorts of issues. He had a hip issue. This is a this is a player that I'm actually quite glad has been rested because I think we could see a, a really good player for years to come. Again, he's got his technical levels sorted out. He knows what he is. He's got a real clarity of game. Front foot, punch, take the man on. I can stop, check, come inside. I can punch and go. I can cross on the run. I can fizz it. I can cut it back. I can put it on someone's head. A real, quite a, it's not a super layered game, but he's really good at getting his game out mm. based on the situation in front of him. He's got more layers than Bellerin's goal. And so you're looking at this, and you're looking at Cedric, who's two-footed. That's what my YouTube scouting told me that. And oh, no. We, Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I told a few people, and um, trust me, it's all in my timeline, so I feel really clever right now. <laughs> Great. So, like, good um, job. <laughs> <laughs> I got one right. <laughs> They're like, but to be honest, I just want to see what he was like, because we all just, we paid five million quid just to the opportunity to sign him. Let's see what he's like, really, because I never really looked at him that closely. And um, you can see straight away, he presses, he's intense. Yeah. He's quite quick on the recovery. You, your eyes don't lie, do they, mate? Come on. You saw it. <laughs> no, I mean, right. you can't complain. If there's ever, and I will just say this, I'm not going to dive into it because we've been over it a lot, but any complaint about signing up Cedric is not a quality of the player complaint. It is a squad building complaint. And I'm not going to go down the road of the squad building argument right now because I just don't think it's necessary. Um, and it's not finished. Well, it's, it's no, it's not close to finish, but it, but it was never Cedric is bad. We shouldn't buy Cedric. That was never the argument. It, it was, does Cedric make any sense for our squad building situation? And that will be borne out in time. But as far as his quality, it certainly seemed on display. And I mean, I, I guess what we're going to find out now and find out real quick is the games come thick and fast. There it is again. Um, is he going to start? Is, is he going to start against Wolves? Wolves is a big challenge. They are ahead of us in the table. If we're going to make a move up the table, we've gotten a lot of positive results the last few games uh, in our favor. Beating Wolves is something we're going to have to do. And I don't think playing away really matters anymore. I think absent fans, and given the fact that no one's staying in their home under normal circumstances anyway, they're all being quarantined. Like, I don't think home and away really matters. Not really. So, and there's no weather. So it really, it really comes down to just putting your best players on the pitch and playing to win the game. And we'll see if, if, Arteta feels that's Cedric. Um, another player who's going to have to decide whether he wants to put on the pitch is Pepe because Reese Nelson had a pretty good game, Paul. The thing is, I feel for Pepe in a sense. He comes out of the lineup, and of course, this is the game where we decide to play entirely up the right flank. And it's predictable because you've got Mustafi who's a better passer than Kolasinac. You've got Ceballos standing over there who was dominant on the ball. You have Hector Bellerin finally being allowed to overlap. Um, and, and Nelson is a tidy player, to be fair. And so I thought he played well. He got on the ball. He he provided some box entries. He had a, a good ball for Lacazette that Lacazette didn't do well with. The irony in this game is 
the two Aubameyang goals come right after two poor Lacazette finishes, um, like almost immediately after. So it doesn't wind up hurting us. But what's your take on Nelson playing well in a game where admittedly we we featured his side more? And and sorry, does someone else want to join the conversation? <laughs> Um, I mean, it's fine if they do. You just invite them in and they can talk. Anyway, yeah. it, it, do you think that Nelson put in the kind of performance that might have Arteta considering keeping him in? Yes. Um, no, so I thought uh, I was a little disappointed in Nelson, to be honest. Um, but I think it's... Okay. For, yeah, no, I, look, I, I don't... How can I qualify that? I didn't think he had a great game. I thought he did a few good things. I thought he was okay. Entirely under, understandable. He hasn't been played at all, and then he's dropped in the middle of it. So um, I was excited to see him join the lineup. <clears throat> I was a little worried that Aubameyang not being necessarily a creative, possession-oriented player, and Lacazette with just with his little bit of struggles at the moment to create and to contribute beyond some hard work, that too much of our creativity would, in, instead of being on Bukayo Saka, who we uh, turned around and said, thanks for signing, you're dropped. Um, we're, we put in uh, Reese Nelson instead, and uh, I think it was a lot for him to carry. Fortunately, it was Norwich, um, and we created from other places. Maybe they gave us a little extra space in midfield and on the wings that we took advantage of, and I think that, that covered a little bit for the deficit between, say, what Saka uh, would or could have brung. Okay. He play, he's currently playing in the same spot we play Saka, but in terms of creativity, that's that's kind of coming from one place in the team at the moment. Uh, in this game, we got it from other places, but it, had it been up to Nelson, I think he, it would have been a big ask for him. But I think he did okay. I mean, he hasn't played for a while. Um, I do fancy him that he's one of those players that takes Arteta's coaching well and absorbs it and is giving Arteta exactly what he's asking for. That's the vibe I get between uh, how he's played, how he was used before. It's kind of been strange he hasn't been used at all recently. I know he's uh, been coming back from his own fitness issues, but he's been fit for a few games and just, just about been used. And I do think he's a very interesting counterbalance I don't know if he gives us enough when it's Aubameyang and Lacazette in the front three. Um, I agree with and that. Not, agree and with not that, that mm-hmm. much behind them, unless we really use the wings. And, you know, heck, it did allow, I mean, he did do well to let Hector play and, and play through, etc. And it's kind of down to Hector that he didn't he didn't do a little bit do, more do when he got into the Do you find it ironic that Pepe comes out of the lineup and now we decide to let Hector overlap? And, and you know, I mean, you know, I would have thought yeah, that, we that Pepe very... might have thrived in that kind of environment. <laughs> yeah, he would have. Um, and he would have enjoyed this game. And we were much more, uh, I mean, we did, We had a lot more progressions into the box in this game, up through the middle, up through the right. We weren't We weren't really left side oriented in this game. Uh, Chaka kind of took a step back. Sabayas took a step forward. He was playing out of the right side, at least for the first half. And early parts of the second half kind of switched to the left side, which is where I think Ceballos is actually happiest. Um, and Chaka gets in the way of that a little bit, so that holds him a, back, a little back. But um, in this game, we played up through the right, and Nelson and, and Hector got the benefit of that. And, yeah, Pepe will be looking at this thinking he missed out a little bit. And he, you know, especially when there's four goals and he wants to add to his tally, this, this, this was a game anybody... 
uh, who was an attacker, wanted to be playing in and stay on as long as possible. Um, so, but so you know, I, I maybe phrased that a little, a little too harshly of Nelson at the start of it. I think it's he had a perfectly acceptable game for where he's at in his comeback curve. Uh, I think he can do a lot better and give us a lot more. Um, but it takes a little time. I do think he's a very interesting Arteta-style player in that he gives you that balance. I think he's very clever. Um, uh, I, he was one of the younger guys. I wasn't sure there was enough there to be excited about. I thought he was the one, one of the ones who might have got lost. And then under Arteta, um, I kind of understood a little bit more about what Nelson can give us. So I guess I expect plenty from him. And this was an okay kind of re reemergence into the fold. I thought it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I, and look, I mean, I think you know where I stand. I want Pepe to play every game. I love the player, and I think we have enough tied up in him that he has to play. I I do think Arteta likes the tidiness of Nelson's game. Um, I I don't know if I don't know if the reason Bellerin was given the license to overlap is because of that tidiness and the trust in Nelson to do the work at both ends of the pitch, or if it's just the the level of the opposition. And I sort of lean towards thinking it's the latter. Um, The the word that always comes to mind, well, maybe not always and not the only word, but control is something that comes to mind that, that I think Nelson gives mm -hmm. in, in that area of the pitch. Like you say, tidy. I think it just feels a bit more under control under a plan um and he he has a very nice hover between going to his left to his right that i think keeps defenders backing up against him Mm. um and so it'll be interesting to see when he starts hitting some form if we have enough games here hopefully we do i don't want to bog down here clive so if you have a quick thing that'd be great otherwise i I want to move on because i I do want to touch on things like the saka situation the oba situation the saliba situation and maybe good doozy although probably not so um we can start to wrap up on this game but if you have a quick thought on on nelson versus uh pepe i would always love to hear it (laughs) well there's no comparison pepe's a a runner killer dribbler are going to be super world class and Nelson the way he's introduced to us we sort of look at him and we want him to be like Sterling or be like, a bit like Gnabry a punchy winger that gets shots get, gets shots off I think his game is developing into more of an attacking midfielder game I think the things he goes onto the pitch thinking is I must keep it I must move it I must keep it he's still developing his personality as a first team player where he wants to take risks so I think he's got the ability to do it. I think he's got the punch, got the speed. But I'm wondering, our discussion online, I'm wondering if he's developing into an attacking midfielder rather than a wing forward. Mm. And uh, I just got this feeling that's what he's happier doing it, receiving it on the half turn, little move, move it, get it back, move it. He doesn't want to seem to devastate. He doesn't want to rip people to shreds. Do you know what I mean? And I'm always happy always... to do that if the, if Arsenal needs someone <laughs> for that job. Yeah. And when you're when you're a winger forward, I think we have an expectation that he should do that. And when he doesn't, we say, "Well, I'm not too sure what sort of game he had." Didn't really matter on this day, but I do think it's interesting which way he's going to go. Is he going to be more devastating and run through people, and run through lines, or is he going to be more of a, a combination attacking midfielder that can get shots off on the edge of the area? Not too sure at the moment, and I think. He's, Sometimes it just happens. You start to develop your game. So it'd be interesting to see what coaching lessons he's getting and where he wants to end up being. But you want to watch what he ends up being. And I'm not too sure what it's going to be. He's going to be a 10, 11 or a 7. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Well, we'll find that out. Uh, let's move on to Aubameyang quickly. 
he does score two goals and get an assist in this game, so I feel that he is someone we should probably discuss. Although it almost seems ordinary for him, he has now uh, reached 50 goals for Arsenal faster than Thierry Henry did it. He is, again, the leading scorer in the Premier League for a dreadful Arsenal team. Now, look, he is, he's not as good as Thierry Henry, by the way. I think we should be clear about that. Um, but he is a prolific goal scorer, and he just has a knack for doing it. And I think it's unfortunate that when you are gifted goals, those gifted goals mean that you often don't celebrate what the striker had to do to to get those gifts. Um his athleticism is praised a lot, but I think his intelligence is not praised enough. And I, I think he really deserves it. So, Clive, I want to talk about his intelligence in these goals and, and his poise. The the finish after rounding Cruel is pretty easy. The finish on the second one, maybe not as straightforward as people would think, but he's just so unbelievably cool in that moment. The way he takes the ball off Cruel, he takes sort of a lazy step towards him to lull him into a sense of security, I think, but then the sprint he puts in to get there is completely committed. He is a player who, despite the flash of, you know, driving a a wildly uh, recognizable Lamborghini and doing backflips when he scores, he works so hard. He is so committed and he is so intelligent. And it is, it is a thrill for me to watch him play sadly during an era where it, it, it will largely, I would think in the years to come be forgotten. So, for me, another great game for Aubameyang, even if the goals are, are a bit gifted to him. Do you see it the same way? I, I like the player a lot. I, I really do. I, I actually think he suits our club. People look at him and say, oh, he should be at Barcelona, he should be here. I'm, I'm generally not sure if that's what if that's what he is. I think I don't think he's got a super strong mentality. I don't think he's a bright, happy footballer that needs to be happy. And I think he's happy at Arsenal. I've always felt it. I think he he's an emotional guy and needs the people around him needs to be comfortable, needs to be happy, and he needs to feel important. And I think he's all of those things, Arsenal. Um, I missed both his goals in this game because I was fuming at the missed chances of Lacazette. Yeah, they happened right after both of them. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I got up. Next minute I come back and this ball's in the back of the net. Right? So, and, that, and I totally agree with you, Elliot. And I, this is why I think we should sign him. Because he's not just a pace and power guy. He is a thinker, a really quick thinker. And players like that will have longevity. You know, they have more longevity. So he's got two strong years in him. I actually felt a little bit in this game, he looked a little bit tired. <laughs> I honestly think he did. And they and I just thought, you know, get him out of there for saving for wolves. Um mm. Yep. I just thought, but nothing because no, nothing too dramatic. I just didn't think it looked as he looked sharp in some of the first couple of games where he looked really quite quick. And so, yeah, I I, I think he's got a future <laughs> beyond when he, even the days when he slows down a little bit on the on the thirty yard sprints because he's just so quick. He sees the game, he steals it, he robs people, he nicks, he runs off shoulders. He knows where to be. He knows when to go first time. He knows when to go left foot inside. When to go high. Got varied finishes. He's got size there for the headed goal as well, which he's improving on. Yeah, he's a he's a really good player. And I, I just got this again. It's all about it's all about the manager. Players are not stupid. They sense when something's about to change. And the Saka thing was great news. But I just wonder. I just wonder if he senses something. He senses importance. I think there are signings to do. And if he sees them, I think he'll sign. I don't think it's the club. I don't think it's other clubs that are stopping him. I think it's what the club does to support his career and support the manager's career. And they seem to be in lockstep about that. And I think the club's got some work to do with uh, 
centre midfielder, attacking midfielder, and a central defender, and if or two, and getting people out the door. And if they do that, I don't see any reason why you should go somewhere. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, I did. Uh-huh. Could I? Yeah, I did enjoy Arsenal humiliating Tim Krul, though. Oh uh, yeah, of course. For, for the for those remembering the what was it Arsenal Newcastle two one. In about 2012, I'm just googling it here. And Van, was it Van Persie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Jack Wilshire calling him a crybaby. Didn't he get booked the... for time wasting? Then we won it super late, yeah. and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, yeah, it was great. Yeah, they were dragging <laughs> their feet, giving us a hard time. Tim Krul was the orchestrating the time delaying, like really laying it on, really rubbing it in. And uh, yeah, we didn't like each other that day, and some of us still remember that. So that was fun. Um, yeah, I agree. So, so one well, other thing okay. was, did did anybody wonder if if Aubameyang was actually going to get this fifty goals? Because I can, I remember a couple of days ago when they were talking, I'm like, oh Jesus, I'm not sure <laughs> he's going to get there. No, I probably about a week ago. I never never had a doubt. Uh, so, well, last little thing. One thing that we've been critical of with Arteta is his in game management. Um, I thought we came out of the half and looked really bad for about 15 minutes and we just weren't in the game. And I don't know if it was sort of that we thought the job was done. We were a little complacent. Norwich really showed their only bite and their only life during that period. They'd changed their structure and, and it took a while for us to come to terms with it. Arteta did change things. Uh, one of the changes he made was Willick uh, coming on for, was it Nelson? Yeah, right. Um, and I didn't love it because I thought the right change was to bring on a midfielder like Willick for Kolasinac, go to a back four. I didn't think Kola was particularly in the game or particularly necessary, and that could give us the control. But the move worked. It gave us the control. We got back on top, and and we wound up winning comfortably. Do we owe Arteta, Paul, a little bit of credit for the in-game management in this one? And, and, and in a game where he didn't or potentially didn't have injury-enforced substitutions or red card-enforced, I mean, he did make the... Straight swap, what was it, um, holding for, was it for Mustafi? Straight swap, so maybe there was there was a fitness issue yeah. there, but um, do you think he did better with the in-game management, this one? Yeah, and, you know, he needs a mix of high-pressure and low-pressure games to, to get his substitution game strong. And it's different when you got five players. I mean, it seems like it's going to be easier and simpler, and I guess in some ways it is, but it also complicates it, so it's all a bit different, the rhythm of it. Um I think, so he obviously got his substitutions right, but what more heartened me related to that was his analysis after the game, after a great game in which everything's wonderful and we stuffed them 4-0 and blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, he's pretty critical of how we went into the half the couple of minutes before the half, so that's obvious, and, and the period after it. But the fact that he kind of bounced, or he focused on that kind of laser like, especially the bit going into the the first half gives me some some solace that he he still knows where the issues are. I mean, we've let we've let so many games slip from seeming control or or having the upper hand just in that last five ten minutes before the first half ends. And you know, he saw the same in second half, having had a chance to talk to them at halftime, and then he made his changes and turned things around and brought Willock on and a couple of other changes. So it seemed like he. He diagnosed the issue. I thought the other interesting thing from his, his notes afterwards, um, again, related to the tactical aspects, was what he was particularly happy with was the, the, the pressing, the upfront pressing, the, the forcing of turnovers. And, of course, it led to the Aubameyang uh, opportunity and goal. And that was he, he had some sentence in there that was a bit like the uh, turnovers are the best playmakers. But 
Um, he was much happier with what we did in the final third, uh, following aggressive pressings, words to do with that effect. So just interesting to see his thoughts on, on what he was trying to... Oh, the other gem was um, that it was good because the players actually did what they had planned to do in the planning session, which is probably <laughs> always nice when you're a coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, they did what I asked them to. It was a fantastic yeah. day for us. Um, I mean, he spends his time doing press conferences afterwards, asked about why his team sucked, and what he really wants to say is... Because they didn't do what I told them to before the game, so yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, doing what you told them to is better than not doing it. That's for sure. Uh, so, yeah. well, Clive, let's move on. Uh, good game, good win. Happy to get it. Um, we come out of it seemingly sort of unscathed by injury. We now go into an absolutely brutal period of fixtures. I don't know if you've looked for it, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's not great uh, I'm gonna read it out here actually just to, to put it in perspective so we we home and away I don't know matters much but let's just do it this way Saturday is at Wolves Tuesday is home to Leicester Sunday is at Spurs that's a nice little break before Spurs thankfully um, Wednesday is home to Liverpool then three days later we're at Villa which that's not so bad but then the semifinal actually sorry we won't be at Villa because we'll have the semifinal Watford. against city yeah we'll have the city semifinal and then Watford and Villa. So, I mean, it looks like it's going to be Wolves, Leicester, Spurs, Liverpool city. And that is absolutely brutal. And he's going to have to try to keep the squad fresh. He does have a little break, thankfully between Leicester and Spurs, but he's going to have to really, really think about how he wants to pick the teams. And it's not just that we play so frequently, but doing it in the heat, I think it's more fatiguing. I think you risk more hamstring injuries, things like that. So we'll, we'll see. So Clive, the big news though, we started this great day on the pitch with a great day in the boardroom, and that is the signing of Bukayo Saka. How big is this, and and how do you react to people who say don't pat the club on the back for something they should have done? No, I I think it's big. You know, I, I'm a big fan of um, the player, but I'm a big fan of Arsenal doing things right and operating correctly because it's not just about one player; it's about being the place where lots of players want to be, stay. And other players out there that are talented that we want to get choose us over over our competitive landscape. That's that's it for me. You know me. And if we had lost this player, the signals we would have sent would have been absolutely awful. If you can't keep a kid that's been at the club since he's eight years of age, that you've given opportunities to play, that's got a number of minutes more than many other 18-year-olds who played in multiple positions, who scored goals, assisted goals, playing European competition home and away, and you can't keep him. What do you? What do you? What does that represent? It's everything that's wrong, right? So, you don't get these generational talents coming out of academies very often. You think Jack Wilshere, we know what happened then. Before that, you're talking really Seth Fabregas, you know, and mm. we bought him a 15, 16 year old. It doesn't happen very often. This is literally lottery winning time, and so we have this player that's not just a good player, he's an intelligent player. And that's the key thing. He's an intelligent player and he suits what modern coaching is all about. I give you a number of instructions. Can you carry them out? And he does that. We can all see it. When he plays left back, he plays it brilliantly. When he plays left wing, he does it brilliantly. When he plays left eight, he does it brilliantly. He's got a number 10 future in the corner, no problem at all. He scores, he, he shoots, he crosses. He tackles, he, he presses, he goes both ways, he can dribble out, he can dribble. Out. The way he made the goal at um, Sheffield was just stunning, right? Quiet game, boom, bang, round the corner, 
we're off. That sort of player is very special. So I am so pleased well, that it's been done. We all felt sort of relieved, didn't we, really? Mm-hmm. We, we hoped it would be done, but it was, it was a huge relief because the connotations are not good yet if that didn't happen. So, yes, I cannot tell you how happy I was. You know, and then to have the game and then see what Van Bank said afterwards. I was really happy yesterday. Really happy. And because I don't want us to be a laughing stock. I'm tired of it. No, that, that would be ideal. I would prefer that as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know what I mean when I say that. We, yeah. we 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 all read. We read every single thing and we listen and we listen to journalists, listen to talk shows, we listen. And everyone's ripping ripping us apart. I think this not I want this to stop, you know, much like everyone does. I want this to stop. That only happens by how you operate, how you play, the decisions that you make. This is a good decision and the way he absorbed it and the way he spoke. I sat my son down and we listened to the interview and my son's the same age as him and I just said to him, that's how you speak, that's how you communicate, that's how you should talk about your coaches. That's 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 a makes you know, if I was his dad, I'd be very proud. Mm. Very proud of the way that he behaved, the way that he spoke. And he's an Arsenal boy, and I'm just very pleased for all the fans out there that have got that player in our club for a little bit longer. Yeah, and, and it's weird because to hear him describe it, it puts you at ease because it doesn't really sound, I mean, not what's he going to say. I thought about going somewhere else, but in the end, I figure I'll stay here. Um, he, he sounds like this was never that in doubt, actually, which is kind of reassuring. So, I don't know. I mean, look, my, my attitude about basically criticizing the club for celebrating a thing that we should get done, I think it's silly. It's great. Look, you can see the talent that this kid has. And in modern football, these young players get snapped up early by other clubs. I mean, Liverpool wasn't able to hold on to Sterling, and you'd say it worked out fine for Liverpool. True. Um, but it's not always easy. And we got it We got it done. Um, you know, we did it maybe not as fast as we'd like, but given the pandemic situation, that, that may have played a role as well. There's also nothing wrong with realizing you're a club that's in decline, and one of the ways you stop the decline is by showing that you can hold on to your precocious young talent, and we've done it. So yeah, if we had just won the title in the Champions League and we're celebrating getting an 18-year-old signed up, that's silly. When you're sitting in ninth and you're bad, and getting an 18-year-old precocious talent who can carry you somewhere is worth celebrating, and I'm glad we've done it. And I mean, you could say it's just a four-year deal. I think this is how football is going to go now. I think the older players are going to try to hold you over a barrel to get long deals. And I think the younger players are going to only sign for short deals so they control their career, so they can leave on freeze if they want, so they're not locked into places, so they can take advantage of reevaluating their career in shorter bursts. Because if you think about it, he's 18 now, he'll be 22 at the end of the contract. Then he'll have another four-year contract till he's 26. Then another four-year contract till he's 30. That's how you maximize your earning. You renew contracts three or four times in your career. But if you do six-year contracts or something like that and you're 24 when this expires and then you maybe get another five year and you're 29 when that expires you've cut one extra contract renewal out which costs you huge sums of money including signing bonuses and things like that so i just think this is how football is going to go and i don't know that we had any option i don't think you're going to see deals like the one we gave to hector bellerin very often and i think you're going to see more deals like the one we unfortunately gave to Mesut Ozil. Paul, um, your thoughts on celebrating the SACA signing and how important it was? Yeah, we should celebrate the snot out of it. I always thought we'd work it out, but as Clive says, strangely, I was massively relieved when it was announced. Uh, it kind of came out of the blue at the end of it. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was going to drag on and on because they had us by the Watsits 
at the end of the day. Um, I mean, we can say, oh, the club should have got it done, but City didn't hold on to Jadon Sancho, and you can say, well, he hadn't played for them by then. But in another sense, um, we had made the mistake of turning this guy into a star <laughs> in the matter of a, in a matter of a few months, demonstrating to the world he could play four different positions and that his star could only go upwards. Um, and so we were pretty vulnerable here. Um, so getting it done was important. I think it's incredibly exciting for us going forward. We can settle down into it. Um, and then on the other side of it, for all the hard negotiating, he comes out afterwards and he, you can see it, it clearly wasn't his idea. He's like apologizing it took so long, just like any 18-year-old kid might do. But it was kind of like, but my maybe, agent made Maybe not me. the 20-year-old kid can do it. I don't see he, he would do it that way. Let's just put Maybe it. not so much, no. But <laughs> yeah. it, was kind of, it, it was kind of both sides of it. It was the, like the tough-nosed negotiating and then the kid saying, uh, sorry about all that, everybody. And then talking about how much the fans lo- love uh, support and love means to him. And I'm like, uh, yeah, as long as you don't start playing bad, kid. Um, so now it was great and fun day and we got him for uh, three years and then we need to renew, if not a little earlier. And in the meantime, we've got to get a lot better to be good enough to be the kind of club that Saka and Tierney and a few others say this is the place to take us forward. So it's up to us now. We've got to execute and, uh, you know, we have some youth in there. We have some young players. I know we have our concerns about contract negotiations on the other side very uh, of the age profile, very valid concerns. Hopefully all those players uh, deliver their worth. But yeah, it's going to be a changing, very changing landscape too on contracts. I mean, people are just going to run down their contracts uh, because especially anybody, anybody on a big con- big contract at the moment for wages is going to be thinking, well, why would I move clubs and get a lower wage? So it's all going to change a bit. Getting this boy locked in is wonderful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really special. I mean, we can debate a guy like Ganduzi. I, I think he's a really big talent, but maybe not, you know, time will tell. I don't think there's any, any doubt when it comes to, to Saka. I really don't. So Clive, the, the banter that goes on uh, surrounding this is related to Aubameyang as well. Um, Maitland Niles got involved on Instagram as we talked about. You know, uh, Arteta gave I, I thought were some lukewarm positive comments about Aubameyang resigning. It does seem to be the next thing the club is trying to do. At least if you believe some of those statements, I ask you this: Should we be trying to do it? His extraordinary contribution to this team, notwithstanding, should we be looking to give him what will certainly be a quarter of a million or more a week? Uh, at 31 years old on a brand new contract, or is this is this all just a little bit of history repeating? Is this is this Arsenal falling into the same trap we fell into with Alexis, where we felt scared to lose him, and Ramsey, where we felt scared to lose him, and Ozil, where we felt scared to lose him, and all of these players who, in retrospect, taking the medicine and selling them might have gotten us further along in the project. Do we have to swallow some very very bitter medicine rather than committing? four or five years of big wages to a 31-year-old striker, even if he is, physically speaking, in the kind of shape that makes you think he can beat back Father Time? Yeah, I I think of of those three players, he's the one. And I remember how I felt about Meza Azul. Pre-contract, he was playing absolutely brilliant. In hindsight, when you you 
do that sort of money with that contract did not even feel like an actual contract, right? But if you if you do that sort of money, you got to make sure you're doing it to somebody that really represents who you are, bring something to not just the team but the dressing room and the club. And I think, you know, in hindsight, Mesut Ozil's quite an insular character. He's not overly communicated unless he's been done by his PR team to benefit him. I don't sense any joy coming from him. You know, I don't sense him schooling other players, helping other players along. He's an insular character and he's an unbelievable talent. You can all see that. But people like him, and maybe like, again, like Alexis, he was quite um, an internalised character, quite a, a, a lone character. And um, and I, you have to say to yourself, you know, these people, you know, how much, how long do we want them around? I look at Lacazette and every time, sorry, I look at Abamia and every time he, he looks tired, I think, oh, is, it, is that him done? Is he starting to show? But then he does something really quick and he does something really sharp. And then yeah, I look at how everyone else talks about him. I've, you know, since he's been in, in England, we've not heard a single bad word about him, have we really? He plays every an, game. An, it's insane. He's, <laughs> he's just been a, he's been an absolute joy to watch. And, and plays every minute of every game. Mm. Yeah. Look, and he seems to really care. I mean, I, I think I've, I don't know, I said something online. He didn't, as much you, Elliot, I think he doesn't like a player that wants to leave, does he? Just so by the way he carries himself, just the way he is. And um, so, yeah, looking at the human behaviour side, I hope that we do it because I like the person. I like the person. And he could be defined as an Arsenal player during the prime years of his career. And that's no bad thing. And if we do have to take him out of the odd game so we see more of him, then that's that's what we should be doing, exactly that. You know, we, we should make sure we get two fantastic years out of him minimum. And let him go off to Qatar or wherever to go and make the rest of his money, right? And so, and for Arteta, you're thinking, great, I've now got my 25 goals. I've got an insurance policy. I have someone that I love. I have someone that the rest of the team loves. And while other people are developing, we're going forward because I know I've got my goals. So from his perspective, it's a we must do it to support the coach's career. And from an Arsenal perspective, we must make sure we support Aubameyang's career so he's not just carrying us like a rucksack on his back. But he's got people to pass him. He's got people to do his tackling for him. And every time he turns away, he mustn't look at the ball in the back of our net and one of our defenders with his hands on his head. It's just been done. So we've got to make sure we do that. So and if we do that, I, I, think we'll, I think we'll be all right. I really feel that. So I hope it works out. Paul, quickly. Um, I think... He's at the perfect intersection of should you or shouldn't you. Um, I think I think on pure, raw, cold, hard calculus, we should probably take the tough medicine and not do this. On the other hand, the risk to the club of getting rid of the only guy who ever scores goals, slight exaggeration but not much, before you've worked out where else you're going to get them from. I think when you look at it over a three-, four-year contract, you say – well, at the end of the four years, we may look back and regret that. On the other hand, if you don't do it now, there's a lot of careers on the line within the club. So there's a certain certain amount of CYA, cover your arse, between the manager, uh, Raul Edu, that they can't wait for three or four years for things to turn around. Neither maybe can the fans, because we're all very, you know, when, when we are brave about these things, saying, oh, let's not do another Ozil. Are we promising to be very well behaved and not criticise while they rebuild for the next two years and it's all a bit of a mess? I don't think so. Um, if this were Ozil, 
I mean, I was pretty excited when Ozil resigned. Don't get me wrong. This was Ozil. It's not even close. You know, let's do a redo. It's not close. We've learned our lessons. Change the name. Change the look of the guy. Give us an Ozil situation. You say no. But this guy's right on the cusp of still so good at that age. Still got years in him. He's scoring all our goals. Everything's built around him. Just moving to Elliot. You're you're hinting that maybe you'd be the tough guy who'd say no. What if I told you? Yeah, but if we re-sign him, we'll play him at centre forward the next for the next few years. <laughs> I'm in. I'm How in. You feeling I'm in. I can't, can't right. change. No, no. I mean, I'm 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 still not so in. So we move Lacazette. Well, you really wouldn't do it. You, so I, you're running our. Now I get it on paper, but let's say you're running Arsenal. That is and, such a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah. And you, you're getting to play him at center forward next year. You're gonna, you're gonna say no. You're gonna, you're gonna do the mature thing and say, you know what? He might have two good years, but he doesn't have four good years. I'll get the goals from elsewhere. You're a brave man. I mean, so, so let me say this, okay? I. I don't think Arsenal are on the cusp of greatness. Is it fair to say that? Sure. Okay. I don't think if you sign him, the one thing we know if you sign him, I don't believe you're selling him. Okay? So I, I think you are you are ending with a, a zero value asset. Right? So yep. now, now look, if you sell him for $20 million, you got a problem because $20 million isn't going to buy you any goals. <laughs> so... What are you going to do? You're going to lose all of his goals. You're going to buy some some prospect and hope you find goals elsewhere. Like, I I realize that that's a problem. But if there's a fifty million pound offer out there for him, maybe there isn't. Um, you can invest in something young that is important that helps build this project forward, push this project forward. And my concern is, you sign Aubameyang up next season. He's good for another twenty three goals, where you finish sixth. And the next season, he's good for sixteen or seventeen goals, where you finish sixth and then the season after that and the season after that he's he's playing 1200 minutes he's getting nine goals he's he's not doing what he was doing he's still chewing up a lot of wages you can't move him on and and you have to consider those years so I don't know I mean we we bought this guy to get right back into the top four and it didn't happen um, we've made a lot of moves to get right back into the top four and it hasn't happened. And I just wonder, when will this club realize at some point, take your medicine? I think a lot of us were excited we kept Alexis instead of selling him. It was the wrong move. Resigned Ozil. It was the wrong move. Held on to Ramsey instead of losing him, instead of selling him. It was the wrong move. Um, a lot of the moves we like have proved wrong and I just worry this could be another one and he is my favorite player at the club and I will love watching him continue to be at the club even while recognizing that it may be a move that we look at maybe not like the Ozo one but maybe a little bit like the Alexis one um, where it just it isn't it isn't in anybody's interest and, and you know what's funny Paul sometimes the most obvious things don't seem obvious at the time Alexis Sanchez was a fucking dynamo for us until he wasn't and we knew he'd played a lot. And we knew there was a lot of football in his legs. And we knew that energy and running was an important part of his game. And we all kind of ignored it. And then it all fell apart. And he became, I mean, <laughs> laughably at United, really, totally unusable um, and broke down. Will we be looking at an Aubameyang in November of next season when he's out for six months saying, this was so predictable. He's 32. He always plays. He relies on a burst. We should have seen this coming. I don't want that. I hope it doesn't happen. Maybe it won't happen. I'm just saying that like, and you know what? Some players at 28 
look older than Aubameyang does at 31. Players age in different ways. Look at Lacazette, right? He looks toast. Um, so I acknowledge all of that. I just worry that There's we... There's definitely a calculus in there. Darren Burge has talked about uh, Aubameyang as being like a special machine. Some people just have that physicality and the mechanics. Uh, so there's a calculus there. Um, I don't know. He might be a little bit special. He might have... I mean, if he had three good years left in him, is that ridiculous? I mean, he could. Paul, he absolutely could. I don't think it's ridiculous. I mean, th- those would be his 32, 33, and 34-year-old seasons, right? Is that, is that right? Yeah, I mean... It's, yeah. it's certain, There's got, not a lot of precedent for it. Can we agree on that? No, what's Le- Lewandowski doing at the moment? And Robin... Well, Robin's not doing anything. He's just 31. Yeah. He's just 31. We're looking at him for the next couple of years. And that's what we're looking at. Really. I want him. Clive, Clive you know, I, I do want him. Right? Oh, you know, I love really I love good. the player. It, I just, I'm op- I'm questioning whether we'll look back on this in 18 months and say, gosh, this was so obvious at the time, you know? Yeah, and, and, uh, your points are really, really strong. Really good. And I'm now depressed. Because sorry, you do, what I do. Because, <laughs> Thanks uh, for listening. Because you make a you make a great case, right? And we should breathe and think. But I will say, you know, touching on what Paul was alluded to, we have all the data on him. You know, he's the guy with the top speed within the club, right? He does the most repeat sprints in every single game. We we will know if he's if he's going away. With Alexis, we all suspected those summers playing for Chile were gonna was gonna be the end of it. We we all said that, didn't we? Mm. I also should have sold him to Man City for fifty, sixty in the summer. They held on to January, end up with and we just gave him away. Another great move, Arsenal. Right? Well, well we wait. Sense- Any concerns then about consecutive year? It looks like I think it's going to be consecutive years with the Afri- African Cup of Nations. Any any worry there? Well, fortunately, he plays for. A nation which is not it the greatest, yeah, they don't they always really qualify, qualify, right? The so, Norwich uh, of the African Nations Cup. Yeah, they don't always qualify. So we're, we, again, we we just have to make that call. But I'll give you another scenario, you know, we we're in a post-COVID world, we're in a situation where I firmly believe that football's going to look to recover lost revenues. There will be a form of Super League happening. And I want Arthur to be in that picture. I don't want Arthur to be somewhere down with Bournemouth and Burnley and watching Tottenham in any Super League. So we need to be positioning ourselves. If Aubameyang's at our club, we have a greater chance of finishing the top four of this league. And I'm prepared to, to take that. And the difference between maybe him and Ozil is he's a goal scorer. He scores our goals. And I think it's important that we have a calm road for Arteta, a calm road for his club's rebuild. And he calms the road down. It was only a week or so ago that I was, my eyes were popping out of my head for losing one single game against Brighton. Right, So we lose two, three games on the trot against the wrong opposition. There'll be no calmness. We'll be questioning the coach. We'll be questioning the club. We'll be questioning the executive. We need this guy. We need this guy for serenity of us going forward. We need this guy. I think it's really important. Yeah. Unless you tell me we can got goals somewhere else that I know I'm not aware of in, within this team, and to go out and buy it, we're not exactly, you know, we're not exactly flush with cash. So it makes sense to me. The most expensive yeah, thing to buy in all of football is goals, and and yeah. you can make an argument that overpaying for that one thing, uh, or taking a squad management risk for that one, it's the single one thing that maybe. Mm-hmm. It's okay to just splash 
cash on. Yeah, uh, I'd love us to take the tough medicine you're talking about us uh, about. I'd love if we did that for our center back, for our midfielder, for our right back, which is per, yeah, for Lacazette. I'd I'd love if we did it pretty much everywhere else. Um, and the the trade off being, but we, as Clive talks about, we'll build this bridge. Uh, by scoring goal, goals for the next two or three years, as long as he we we can keep him fit, but he seems to be pretty good at that. And and transition to the next stage. But look look at all the careers that uh, and their uh, their longevity with Arsenal, from Arteta, uh, potentially Edu. I mean, maybe we care, maybe we don't about those guys. But Arteta and the young players and the players who are on the bubble who are dependent on us not sucking next season. Uh, it's fine to say, it's one thing if we have this machine pumping through talent that maybe you you might imagine Dortmund has. We do, we're not there yet, so we still, we keep doing these quick fixes, but as quick fixes go, this might be the best of them. Yeah, I look, en- enough said. We, we stretched this out a little longer than I even intended, and I, I think we'll see what happens. I, I, I this, is, this is a definition of, of conflicted for me because the part of me that thinks about how you intelligently move the squad forward isn't sure it's the right move, but I love the player. I, I want the player to stay. L- last tiny little quick things, guys, just real quick. Um, Clive Saliba coming back to Arsenal, not going to be allowed to play in the cup final. It looks to me like this is on them, not on us. Uh, we would have had to pay $2.5 million extra to let him play in one more game at risk to us. All they had to do was waive that to let the kid play, and we were going to let him play, and they didn't. So, I mean, yeah, maybe Saliba will be aggravated about it, but I still think the aggravation should be at them, not at us. Your your thoughts? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's that may be part of it. I, I believe, depends what you read, there are lots of things out there. I believe that we were, they were going to waive the fee, but it's something that I also wanted to have 10 days of training with Saliba and they want to have him with them. So it seems very petty to me, right? So, so maybe that will sort itself out because I think, you know, although it's a risk, he's RSM, we all, we all think he's going to be the next Rafa Varane. So we need him there. We don't need him injured, but it's a cup final against PSG. If I'm the kid, I want to play. And these two clubs have got to grow up and allow him to play. You know, so hopefully they will do so in time. It's very important that we have somebody like him He's happy to be here. He ends his career with his team of his youth in the appropriate way. So hopefully that will sort itself out. Mm. Uh, Paul, last little bit. The Ganduzi situation, I don't want to go deep into it, but for better or for worse, it looks like this is over. Am I overreacting? I mean, is he is he gone? I At this point, I'm ready for him to be go. To, to go. I mean, my attitude with the guy is if if you are unwilling to try to make it work and you think you're so good already at this point that – giving up on your Arsenal career is the right way to handle it, then I, I I can't even defend that. Is there a chance we regret it? Of course there is. Are we maybe hurting his transfer value by letting some of this get more public? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, is it your instinct that this, this is heading in one possible outcome? It seems very likely it's going to go bad unless, you know, it's a, nobody knows what the market's going to be like this summer, so it might not be as easy to uh, to let him go for the fee we're looking for, uh, especially if people try and game the, the situation a little bit, uh, taking advantage of the fact that he's kind of become a problem for us. But you see this stuff go on at other clubs. you just got to be hard, hard-nosed. Players, uh, talented players who act up, they still move on for big fees. 
um, uh, or talented players who act up who the club says, listen, suck it up, you're staying for another couple of years, that's just the way it is, and they handle it. So um, if, if we handle our end of it, I guess it'll be okay. I do think it's probably not going in a great direction, but Arteta's, I think we all agree, the area that needs the most work here is our midfield. And Arteta not doesn't just need the right people, which we don't necessarily have. He needs people who will buy into his way of playing. And you could imagine that the big tension really here is, A, Ganduzi not getting enough starts for his liking with his Euro career ahead of him. And B, Arteta not starting him more because uh, Ganduzi still thinks he's kind of, needs to play like he's the star instead of accepting maybe a more limited role in the short term while we try and work out how things work. I mean, uh, Sabala seems to have accepted <clears throat> in a couple of games recently, keeping it really simple, really tight, to the point where it didn't show his game off and, and fans maybe were a little less enamored with him, even though we, we can see how great a player he is against the mighty Norwich asterisk. Um, so... But that's always the challenge, getting players. A young player like Ganduzi wants to show all his stuff all the time. And the manager may not want that that day or for the next few days or within the setup that season. And you could imagine that's where a lot of the friction is, the coaching side, the listening to the coaching. Why does Willock get on the pitch all the time? Not because he's world class. Uh, apparently, he listens during... The coaching sessions, you can see that yeah. with a, a number of other players. So, yeah, I would. My only retort to that would be to be a great club, you still have to put the best players on the pitch. Now, if the players are pricks and they don't buy in and they don't follow instructions, you got to get rid of them and get other great players who will do those things. Um, so, you know, I, I think unfortunately for Arsenal right now, we're short on great players, and Arteta is opting to go with the ones that do buy in and do listen. And I. I mean, I might not have sympathy for that if it was Aubameyang sitting out, but certainly Ganduzi is not Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and, and he, he cannot just expect to play because he's a good young player. So wherever it so goes... Maybe, it go, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe before you're a great club, you have to actually be a good club. Yeah, there are and, steps. There are levels, and, as the kids and say. And we just like a good midfield to start with. And, ki- you know, we want to kill them up the wings. You, you, you're frustrated with that, but... That's the current uh, yeah, plan. We want to kill him it. up the wings. <laughs> we'll do that for now. Um, all right. But, but imagine if we kill him up the wings and we're actually just good in midfield for a little while. That'd be good. Yeah. Having a functional midfield would be an awesome thing. Yeah. So Willie Bowley says, we are not afraid of Arsenal. I don't think they're going to win very easily. Willie, we don't think we're going to win very easily either. So you're not we're alone. We're afraid of Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, give me a break, buddy. Okay, that'll do it. Um, great win. Really enjoyed it. Lots of fun. Good news on the Saka signing. All good things. Onward and upward. Beat Wolves. Maybe uh, maybe even have a little um, schadenfreude this week with, with some bad results from our rivals. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe, just maybe we can build up enough hope in our league season to dash it at the death. That is, uh, That does seem to be the way things go these days. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Jordan Frude. That's the one. We will have a uh, Wolves preview tomorrow. We will have a Wolves instant reaction at full time uh, for patrons, and then a full Wolves post-match podcast on Monday. And remember, these extra Patreon pods we're doing, I like them. They have a cool structure, and we have a lot of fun with them. But we're still doing just as much uh, of the regular pods. So if Patreon's not for you, you can't get in there, you know, no problem. We are going to do 
as many regular pods as we always have, if not more, once transfer season uh, starts up. We just um, we've settled into a rhythm of of what we're going to do on the Patreon side that that works for everybody. So hopefully everybody feels they are getting their their due, getting their podcast fill. If there's even time to listen to all of it, so thanks so much for being here, whether it's you know uh, in Patreon or not. We we just love you being here. And we love having the conversation, and hopefully more conversations about big wins in our future. So we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal Ten. We'll see you.